really are moving into unprecedented times. People, and not just believers, secular people want to know and are beginning to wonder, is Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation unfolding before our eyes? Well, I do believe the Bible teaches that the church age is going to wind up, and the Bible also predicts that at this time, many people will turn their backs on solid truth and they'll chase after lies and myths. In this program, we want to review four present-day dangers to carefully guard against. After all, Jesus himself warns, false Christs and false prophets shall arise and show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. Jesus warned us very solemnly to beware of deception. The first danger I want to mention today is the belief that you can be a Christian and attend church without really being a sold-out disciple of Jesus. In Luke 6.40, the Lord said very plainly that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. In order to make disciples, as the Lord has commissioned us to do, first we must become his disciples. Yet so many churches today do not emphasize discipleship at all. Church is often attended for entertainment or socializing, but church in many ways is really like a hospital where our souls are fed and revitalized, a place where our bodies are strengthened mentally and spiritually, and where we receive instruction as well as the peace that passes all understanding. I'm talking about the depths of peace that the world just cannot possibly offer us. Also, church should be a place to worship God with music, praise, and prayer. It's a tragic mistake to look for entertainment in a church service. The megachurches often preach happiness, but not holiness. Churches can't possibly compete with Hollywood, although many try. Holiness has been swallowed up by shallowness. And with the rise of computer-controlled projection systems, Many churches have transitioned to dark, windowless auditoriums to make their video screens more visible. These dark spaces need spotlights and stagecraft, like even smoke machines, which sadly emulate rock concerts. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's a zillion times more awesome than the world's entertainment. And how interesting that Many recent revivals among the younger generation are happening in traditional worship spaces, devoid of special effects, spotlights, and the fake smoke. Having lulled congregations into a stupor, sicker-friendly churches will be caught off guard by the invasion of a militant religion that seeks to enslave our nations, while lawlessness and immorality seem to be proliferating unchecked. However, evil spirits can be driven back 
if the church will wake up and rule. For the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. We're waging a spiritual warfare against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, we are supposed to take up the whole armor of God to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. After repenting of our shallowness, we must regain a lot of lost ground. The key is praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Now, concerning this era, some might call it heresy of diluted Christianity. I want to say very solemnly that discipleship is not optional. Jesus said, unless we're willing to pick up our individual crosses and follow him, that means obeying him. We cannot be his disciples. A second danger is the inordinate lust for revelations, sensational prophecies, and quite frankly, outlandish, unbiblical, supernatural manifestations. People are finding solid truth to be intolerable and unpalatable because the plain truth of the gospel contradicts their own lusts for theories, thrills, and intriguing, bizarre teachings. And so they will find plenty of unbalanced teachers to accommodate all they want to see and hear. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I do believe very much in the Holy Spirit's gift of prophecy. I believe in supernatural miracles. The biblical gift of prophecy is a very needful gift in the body of Messiah, and it's been powerfully used in my life to confirm many things. And I also prophesy from time to time as I'm led by the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, Paul told his protege, Timothy, that the time would come when people would not be able to stomach the plain diet of the gospel. Instead, he said, they'll lust for more revelations and teachers with exciting visions. In our age of the internet, strange revelations and doctrines that excite have swamped our Facebook pages and email accounts. Paul declared in 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time will come when they will not be able to endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. This phrase, after their own lusts, means that there will be a craving for teachers and teachings contrary to the Bible and according to their own wishes for angels and so-called heavenly tourism and so forth. You see, some of these popular teachers claim they go back and forth to heaven all the time, and gullible people just lap it up. These sensation seekers just cannot discipline themselves to study Bible exposition and biblically revealed doctrine. The meaning of the original Greek of my text is people in the last days will not be able to put up with healthy doctrine. That is fundamental teachings from the Bible that explain the basic salvation, teachings that expose and denounce sin, and teachings that heal mind, soul, and body. Instead, Paul's prediction is that people will seek instruction that's more conformable to their whims, to their wishes and feelings. I've surely noticed that many professing believers have an insatiable appetite for the newest and the latest revelation. 
when in fact, most good preaching is merely reinforcement of truths in the Bible that we should know, but we need reminding, especially if we haven't been putting biblical truths into practice. So again, I want to say that good preaching is mainly exhortation and admonition of already revealed truths, not new revelations. I hope you can see that. As much as I appreciate the recovering process of the Hebrew Roots Movement, we also have to be careful that we're not just chasing a revelation concerning some deep meaning of a Hebrew word study for the sake of revelations. We have to be careful not to crave the garnishing of the dish more than the food. Sometimes we have a tendency to want to be electrified rather than edified. Jesus plainly warned us that in the last days there will be many false teachers and an endless stream of false prophets. Jesus said the world will swarm with them. Internet clickbait is especially prolific these days. There are so many perverted scammers out there who take delight in conspiracy theories and in counterfeiting news with fake or sensational reports. People often send me the most outlandish links wanting to know if I believe they're true or false. Why don't they have their own discernment? A viewer wrote to me asking for prayer for a former minister's wife who tragically went completely off the rails spiritually. Apparently, her downfall began with an inordinate desire to have more and more revelations and teachings. She spent so much of her time watching various teachers and videos on the internet that tragically, she lost her husband, her children, and now she's alone with only a handful of friends trying to help her. This former pastor's wife refused all spiritual correction and counseling and insisted that only she understands the Bible. I like the way the New Living Translation renders my text, 2 Timothy 4.3. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Tragically, it's happening all around us. People turn away from the truth. They grow weary of the glorious gospel of Messiah. They're greedy for outlandish prophecies and take pleasure in bizarre words. The International Standard Version renders my text, for the time will come when people will not tolerate healthy doctrine. And the Net Bible renders it, they will have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. The Aramaic Bible in plain English is a translation that I appreciate to look at from time to time in my studies. It says, for there will be a time when they will not obey sound teaching, but they will multiply teachers to themselves according to their desires. That word multiply describes this phenomenon. May God give us greater discernment. Now, a third danger that's unfortunately gaining ground revolves around the nation of Israel. Social media is now responsible for spreading the notion that terrorism is a legitimate method of resistance against oppression and that Israel and America deserved to be attacked. Worse still, many churches now claim Israel as a nation is not a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Instead, these churches claim it's some sort of political anomaly. 
But that's an end time heresy. In the rising climate of Jew hatred and anti-Semitism, I'm frequently hearing bandied about in church circles that the present nation of Israel has nothing to do with biblical Israel. That's a way of demonizing and delegitimizing the nation of Israel. People who thought that the horrors of the Holocaust were long behind them have suddenly been shaken by a terrifying sense of foreboding as once again angry, crazed people the world over are calling for the annihilation of Jews. It's finally important for Christians to maintain a biblical worldview. Deborah Lipset is a noted historian who is the U.S. Special Envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism. She says anti-Semitism is like the canary in the coal mine of democracy. It's a threat. It's a warning. And as an historian, Lipset said, I can think of no democracy that tolerated anti-Semitism and remained a vibrant democracy. Certainly, God will hold Bible teachers especially accountable for not knowing the prophetic word concerning God's regathering of the Jewish people back to their homeland. Claiming there's no real connection between today's Israel and the Israel of the Bible is an ignorant but insidious teaching. And it is particularly rebellious and dangerous in light of the plain fulfillment before our eyes of so many end-time Bible prophecies concerning the regathering of Israel. Even Charles Spurgeon, a powerful 19th century British preacher, clearly understood from the many prophecies in the Bible that first, there would be a political restoration of the Jews to their own land and to their own nationality. And then secondly, Spurgeon foresaw that there would be a spiritual restoration of Israel, also according to Bible prophecy. Based solely upon his knowledge of the Word of God, Spurgeon wrote in the 1860s that Israel is to be restored as from the dead. He wrote, when Israel's own sons have given up all hope, then God will allow her to be reorganized. Her scattered bones will be brought together again. There will be a native government again, Spurgeon wrote. There will first be a political body. He said a state shall be incorporated because God promised that once again. He said, I will place you in your own land and they shall again walk upon the mountains of Israel and shall once more sit under Israel's vines and rejoice under her fig trees. And based upon scripture, Spurgeon saw what unfortunately many preachers today should see but didn't, that Israel's tribes will be reunited. He wrote that there will be not two, Israel and Judah, not 10 tribes, not 12 tribes, but one state of Israel living again in the promised land. And how right he was. We are eyewitnesses. A fourth deception and danger is a craving for revival, signs and wonders without experiencing genuine repentance for all of our national sins. Of course, we would love to experience big revivals, but revivals must be biblically sound and not just soulish shows with a lot of hype. And there must be genuine fruit that remains. Hardly a week goes by that I don't receive yet another prediction about a coming move of God that's supposed to 
to eclipse all other previous revivals. Well, first of all, I have to say that there is coming a revival that will eclipse all previous revivals. But the revival of revivals I'm talking about will not take place in America, in Britain, Europe, Africa, or Asia. But ultimately, it's scheduled on God's timetable in the land of Israel. That's what Romans 11 is all about and what Zechariah 12 and 13 are all about. You must read those chapters for yourself. While hopefully, by God's love and mercy, there's still time for some great revivals in the nations, nevertheless, these potential revivals will not rival the great end-time revival that the Lord is planning and preparing for the nation of Israel. The move of God in the land of Israel is prophesied in the Bible to be so great, and Israel's salvation from her enemies so tremendous and earth-shattering that the nations will know beyond any shadow of doubt that God is God. And when the Holy Spirit is outpoured on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as described in Zechariah 12 and 13, the result will be resurrection life from the dead compared to all other previous revivals. And anybody who's spiritually smart will grab a hold of this. Presently, Israel is being pressed into a corner by God through war, and Israel is being perfected. She is progressively returning to God and being revived through hardship. Isaiah 10, 27 declares the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Frequent discussions about revival on the internet tend to revolve around the manifestation of the glory and presence of God moving across other lands. I have to ask, have we paid the price in fasting, prayer, and repentance for such a revival? Or are we willing to accept weak substitutes and label them as revival? The dictionary defines the state of being revived as return to life or consciousness. When a person is resuscitated from near death, it's said that he's been revived, brought back to life. After being born again in my childhood, I've been through a number of spiritual revivals in my own life. Revival simply means returning to our first love, the Lord. Revival is something that happens to individual believers when a living faith and our first love of the Lord is restored by the power and working and probing of the Holy Spirit. By revival today, most people are thinking of a large move of the Holy Spirit that will impact the church and nations. I'm a student of the history of revivals, and in a true revival, the Holy Spirit is active in power to convict people of sin, of righteousness, and of impending judgment. There are many wonderful consequences of real revival. Believers begin to pray, they weep, they repent. Sometimes they tremble under the power of the Holy Spirit, and they receive a holy reverential fear of the Lord, His holiness, and His judgment. If a revival is genuine, people receive new power to live clean lives and to obey God from the heart. Marriages and relationships are beautifully restored. Drunkards and drug addicts are delivered from their addictions. People become productive members of society. Entire communities are transformed by the power of holy, godly living. So most definitely, repentance is a feature of true revival. It's our great desire to do the works of God as never before. But our nations are so weighed down by sins and so near to catastrophic judgments 
that I believe God is waiting for national repentance services. In worship services, people may enjoy a temporary therapeutic time in lively praise and worship. Yet nevertheless, when the services are over and the spotlights and the smoke machines are turned off, many are still sadly living unyielded, unsurrendered lives. They have yet to be transformed. In their heart of hearts, many believers know they still have outstanding unresolved issues between them and God, but they're simply unwilling to change. You may have unresolved issues with God, but don't put it off because time is racing and Jesus is soon returning. Many believers are living in open sin and taking God's mercy for granted. There seems to be no healthy respect for God's moral law and no holy fear of consequences. Yet, despite the lack of repentance and real change, plenty of ministry keeps going on. People are lining up for hands to be laid on them, even though many of these people continue to live in sin. And you know what's scary about that? It's pretty scary that Jesus warned that many who even appear to have an anointing and who have prophesied and claimed to have driven out demons and so forth, doing great signs, they will be branded by the Lord as workers of iniquity. How many are there like that in our churches today? But we have to face this dangerous fact and examine ourselves to see that we are truly demonstrating the faith and contending for the true faith once delivered to the saints. This is because of the scary warning Jesus gave in Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And by your name, didn't we cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? But then Jesus said, I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Please, God, don't let that be me or anybody who is participating in this broadcast within the sound of my voice. While repentance seems to be an old-fashioned word in the churches that are often theaters of entertainment, yet the essence of the gospel is Luke 24, 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. In a sermon not far from Jerusalem's walls, the apostle Peter cried out to his generation in Acts chapter 3, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Don't forget, both Jesus and John the Baptist preached repentance. Repentance simply means a change of heart, a change of attitude and actions, a change of mind, literally a turning around and returning to God. But a false Messiah is tragically being preached in many churches, and the world loves this false Jesus. Many of the lies perpetuated by this false Jesus is that he will let everyone into heaven. We're told about this false Jesus that he came to bring peace and not division. A false Christ doesn't require obedience or holiness, but a false Jesus never would send anyone to hell. He doesn't require repentance. He only requires love. He never demands for anything offensive to be said, and he certainly won't tell anybody they're wicked. It's impossible for this false Jesus to send somebody to hell. His commands are only suggestions. But if you know the Gospels, you know all these lies portray a false Christ. 
In fact, Jesus does require obedience. He spoke many times of the horrors of hell that we must purpose to escape. He rebuked religious hypocrites. So if you're following a false Jesus, wake up to that. Now, to sum up these four end-time dangers that we've been discussing, the reason for the shocking apostasy that we're seeing all around us is that the predicted time has come when people will not be able to endure sound doctrine. Many, even churchgoers, don't want to discard the ministry altogether, but they are exchanging godly ministers for flatterers because of human pride. Morality accompanies sound doctrine, and immorality accompanies unhealthy unsound teachings. The itch for novelty and for more and more revelations will result in a multiplication of false teachers who will share new or smooth things. But it's a Bible fact that when men don't return to the knowledge of the truth, God gives them up to a reprobate mind, which means a depraved mind, so that they lose all taste for sound ideas and all ability to think clearly. Somebody said to me just this week, the cycle of war that we're seeing in Israel is the same cycle of violence that we've always seen. They go back and forth with these wars. But that person failed to read the signs of the times. The apostle Peter warned, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, the apostle Peter said, will come like a thief and the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. Therefore, he asked, what kind of people ought you to be? We're supposed to live godly lives, looking forward to the day of the Lord and hastening his coming through gospel activities. Amen. Well, most of the signs preceding the return of Jesus have already been fulfilled But many people still doubt and say these signs have always existed in past generations. They discount the obvious major sign of the regathering of Israel, which did not exist in past generations for 2,000 years. But now, as predicted by Bible prophecy, Israel exists. We must be very careful because now the signs are very clear and believers should not be caught off guard living in unbelief or disobedience to the word of the Lord because he could come suddenly. So if you have not yet repented of your sins and received Jesus as Lord and Savior, please know that he loves you so very much and he died to save you from eternal perdition. And he's waiting for your decision to follow him and give your heart to him. Please, I urge you, make the most quality decision you've ever made to follow the Lord and give him your life for safekeeping. Amen. Now, if you'd like to be a watchman with us on the walls, we invite you to stay in touch on social media and also to receive our free weekly updates in Exploits Magazine. Contact me at our website, exploits.tv. You can download our free Jerusalem Channel app through your favorite app store, and you can see our videos on your mobile phones or tablets that way. And don't forget to check out all the articles that I frequently post on Substack. Daniel 11.32 declares the people who know their God will be strong and carry out exploits. That means we'll take action. 
Until next time, always contending earnestly for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha. Fast-changing developments in Israel in the Middle East keep us busy interpreting the spiritual significance of today's headlines. The Jerusalem Channel is taking advantage of the Substack website to post developments that you need to know about. Substack is a new kind of internet outlet for in-depth reporting and analysis that's completely uncensored and allows me to share insightful articles at all times of day and night. This is Christian journalism as it should be. We invite you to check out my Substack pages and find an understanding of Israel and Bible prophecy from my perspective. Just go to christinedarg.substack.com and be a part of our community. You'll also find an archive of all my articles. That's christinedarg.substack.com. Let's share what God is doing in these last days together.